Hello, my friends. It's Sean Vig with the Fitness Unleashed podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can always check out my website at seanvigfitness.com, download my free fitness app, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and browse my collection of fitness books, seanvigfitness.com. That link is down below in the description. Today, very excited to have, I think I have his name right, Geraint Geraint, I have to say it really fast, Geraint Jones. Geraint Jones deployed as an infantry soldier on three tours of duty to Iraq and Afghanistan. For his actions in Basra, Geraint was awarded the General Officer Commanding's Commendation. Upon leaving the military, he worked to protect commercial shipping against Somali and Nigerian-based piracy. He has co-written bestsellers on both sides of the Atlantic, including two with James Patterson. Geraint has his own series of historical fiction novels, which one of them I have read. I love it. We'll talk about those with Penguin and his Afghanistan memoir will be published by Pan Macmillan in 2019. He writes full time from his home in Wales. And I added this on the end. We connected because he trains with me via my videos. So, Geraint, did I say it correctly? You absolutely nailed it, mate. I'm very impressed. You say it once. Geraint. Geraint. Okay. I have a bit more of a Welsh accent on there, but you, uh, you smashed it. Good job. Yeah, my Welsh accent is suffering, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job, man. This is fantastic, because I'm sitting here. We were just talking about this. I'm sitting here in the mountains of Colorado, and where are you right now? I am. Um, I'm by a beach in South Wales, which is this time of year is, is a pretty great affair. The, wa- the waves are pretty big. Pretty daunting. Um, I live in North Wales, but I'm just down here for like a couple of family things for a couple of days. I'm actually going to, uh, once we're done here tonight, I'm actually going to meet up with a, a friend of mine that I was in Iraq and Afghanistan with that lives in this area. I haven't seen him for like four or five years. So I'm pretty excited about oh, that Oh, fantastic. So uh, which coast are you on? Are you talking about east or west? Oh, right. Well, <laughs> it's a bit more complicated than that because we've got like little kind of lines going all over the place in this country. So I'm on the south coast. But it's actually, it's not the furthest south point of the UK because on the other side of this channel, then you have uh, Cornwall and stuff. So if you, went, if you went in the ocean here and like kayaked across the ocean, uh, which I wouldn't recommend, mm-hmm. you'd be hitting England. You'd be hitting England on the other side. Okay. Okay. Very good. I have to bring up too that your view is incredible right now. You had posted something earlier. Do you want to mention that, what that was? We just talked it about was, that for about five minutes. I, I want you to mention it to everybody. I think it's important. Well, I had a pretty, a pretty long – I mean, this is all tied into fitness, right? This stuff is, is indicative of a, a fit body. I had a very long drive, and I got to the, long, I got to the, got to the end of my four-hour drive and uh, went and checked into my room, and I went to the bathroom, and there's a beautiful view. If you sit down in the bathroom, of like straight down the coastline, it's a beautiful wave. The only weird thing is that the, none of these windows – doesn't have any kind of frosting on or anything like that. So, no tinting, the, so that people can no see tinting, you, you no can frosting. See but the weather's keeping everyone inside anyway. So, uh, but no, it was a hell of a view. It was. Uh, I felt. I felt very kind of like uh, moved by nature. That is literally, literally. I have a friend yeah, that says, yeah. I don't know if that's the correct use of that. You can correct me as the writer. Uh, dude, I don't know any of this stuff. I just kind of stumble along. That's true. We were talking before the podcast. We've we've kind of known each other for a while, but. It was a social media. I've read one of your books, so it seems like I, I have that respect. I know you very well, and especially from your career. So we, we did about five minutes on toilets overlooking oceans. That's where we were at <laughs> before the yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, I, I was mentioning some of my favorite ones over the years. 
<laughs> I had a, it was like a collection of postcards do a calendar and I'm thinking geez I live in the mountains but I don't have I have a view of a wall that's why I'm always I read in there but that's is that TMI I don't know but it's so great to have you on the fitness thank you man with Sean it's awesome it's awesome to talk to you oh sorry man to jump in all of your lines no that's what we said we wanted to we like it to flow and you and I I think we're chomping at the bit to talk to each other there's so many topics yes, sir. and I wrote down I was explaining my notes for these podcasts. I'm finding my own voice in how I conduct them, how I interview them, because I'm always used to being the one who's talking all the time. So if you could see my notes, I, I should take a photo. Maybe after this, take a photo and post what my notes yeah. look like. Because <laughs> I imagine most people who run podcasts have everything very organized, like typed out. I don't do that. Yeah, I do. I started recording a podcast uh, that we're going to release in January. Um, started this weekend. And I just had, um, I had like, five or six kind of keywords getting um, written down. And it was like a, it was a veteran oriented podcast. So it was like the, the keywords were like shot in the neck and dead people. <laughs> and, stuff like and everyone goes, Oh yes, of course. And I was like, so I looked at that like, Oh yeah, there's, there's, there's my keynotes. Um, yeah. But like, I, I just went for like one page of notes and we ended up speaking. We, we ended up doing like four hours. So if four you have verbal diarrhea, yeah, we, we discussed my verbal diarrhea earlier as a, <laughs> as a writer who's like locked away and doesn't get to talk to anyone except the cats. It's pretty nice to, um, you know, pretty nice to kind of just, just be able to like run, run my mouth off. Absolutely. And we were saying you have so as a writer, I want to talk about that definitely because I've done some writing, but you're you, you do fiction also historical fiction. I saw a little clip from that podcast. It was you and, and your friend sitting and i guess it's a good place to start because we were talking about your tours in iraq and afghanistan and i I believe he asked you uh would you go back and you had said you were actively working on a time machine to go back yeah it's it's not really going well like i only just to uh so that you and i could talk today i only just recently downloaded the latest version of ios so i don't think that the chances of me (laughs) making a time machine anytime i've tried hitting things and shouting at them and using like verbally abusive language but so far no rock has turned into a time machine for me so i'm starting to lose patience on that one what i am but this is like this is like a serious i'm serious about this i do think during my lifetime you know, unless something terrible happens, I do think that virtual reality will re- will reach a point where um, you will be like indistinguishable from reality. Because I'm hoping I'm going to hit 100, so I got mm-hmm. another 50 something years to go. Um, and actually, there's already virtual reality is kind of used in treatment of PTSD and things like that, which isn't what I want it for. I just wanted to put a headset on and just feel like I'm running around going like pew 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 pew. <laughs> is, is this virtual reality? You mean when you put the the like big goggles on? And well, yeah, broadcast? but who knows what it's going to go? Who knows what it's going to go be like? It could be a chip in our heads, or I don't know what's going on. I'm sure you have smarter people listening to me, me talking, and they they're probably rolling their eyes right now. Let's but develop look, this together. But look, Sean, think, think about it like this, man. Like, um, I remember seeing Jurassic Park as a kid. And I was like, whoa, these dinosaurs kind of look real. And the, if you look at a film from 50 years ago compared to what we have now, it's insane. Like, the graphics on computers and things now. I just don't see how we're not going to have stuff as that, like, immersive in 50 years' time. And I've just got this lovely image in my head of a bunch of guys sitting around in a VA hospital and we'll all have these headsets on. We'll just be like running around or wheeling ourselves around the lounge in the VA hospital or like pew, pew, pew. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Okay, very good. Well, I was thinking even some of the latest Star Wars movies, 
every set is a green screen, correct? Nothing is real anymore. Uh, my, my wife that makes likes sense. to watch Hallmark Christmas movies, and I should admit that I, I like them too. I don't know if you've ever watched those. They're really sweet. <clears throat> but they're all filmed in the summer. All the snow that whenever it snows, CGI. They don't even, and, and the breath too, CGI. They mm. don't have to actually be in the winter. They don't even have to be outside really anymore. Everything is computer generated. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane, like, how fast things go. Like, we're, like, okay, let's just put this in perspective. You're in the mountains in Colorado. I'm in Or Wales. am I? <laughs> I don't, I don't okay, know what this that, is out here. That was the, the creepiest thing. I am, li- I, like, give me two minutes. I've got to check behind the, mm-hmm. the curtains and stuff. But no, think about this, right? <laughs> we are talking from the other side of the world. We connected. We connected because I saw your video on YouTube. And then um, I think I, I posted it on, on Instagram. Uh, you wouldn't have like if you just said to me 15 years ago hey you'll be having a chat on the phone with somebody that lives on the other side of the world you never met this person but you'll have communicated through this little thing that you carry around in your pocket I would be like get out of town mm-hmm. you're absolutely mental we'd have nothing to compare it to we, no it, there's it, no it would point make reference. no sense like well why would you do that why, why would you want to do that what do you mean you're posting a, a workout video why would you do that that makes no where are you posting it well, Pete, let's be let's kind of segue in this this into fitness. Um, you know, who was who was doing like? Well, I, you maybe you live in Florida, so it's a bit different. I tell you this: no one was doing fitness in Wrexham, North Wales, like twenty years ago. There was no organized classes. Like you play sports, sure, but um, I, I didn't I didn't step into a gym until I was in Iraq at twenty three years old. Like I didn't know what a gym was or anything like that. You know, well, I heard about them, but it wasn't something that was a part of daily people's lives. Like, look at that as a, as a shifting culture over the last 20 years. No, I know. I talk about my mom. She used to do jazzercise in the 80s. Her gyms were really small. Our high school gym had these big universal machines in them. And we had an old boom box. And all we played was Van Halen and Aerosmith. But we loved it. It was nice. this little Solid bit. choice. Solid oh, it choice. it was great. I remember, because I always liked music theater, too. And I, I like sports and I like theater. And I brought in Phantom of the Opera one time. Because they said, yeah, bring in whatever. So I brought in the tape of <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber's Fan of the Opera. I turned it on, and uh, the record skipped. Everyone went, Vroom! and like, you listen to this? I said, well. well you, told, you actually had a record. Not, uh, it was a tape, but you know how the old joke, like, I, I'm looking at my record. You're coming in with right like now. a gramophone. I, I, brought, I brought, I wound it up, and, <laughs> and I, I had my player piano. I brought that in, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I put on Fan of the Opera with Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman. They all just looked at me so funny. I'm like, hey, I listen to it sometimes. I, I love Van Halen, too. We can like both of them. The old dude, um, dank, windowless gym. I've spoken about that a lot. Oh, I... dude, the, Okay, so the, the, let me tell you a little bit about the gym I use back home, right? So you have a car to get in, and you walk in, and you know like a shark tank diving cage. You walk into like one of those. Mm-hmm. So you have to like – it's like an airlock that you can only have one of the things open at a time. And there's no windows in there. It's all the walls. Wait, is this now in, in Wales? Yeah, this is the gym I go – yeah, this gym I go to back home. It's Power Zone Gym. So – I go, uh, any of the guys listening go to Power Zone Gym, they know what I'm talking about. This place is fantastic. And it's always, it's loud music. And the thing is about the place, it has a bad reputation amongst people that don't know it because the guys that go there are all big guys because they're all serious trainers. What people don't realize until they go is that it's actually the nicest group of people you ever meet who are the most helpful with training and everything like that. And we have nights out together. You know, it's like a real sense of community there. People giving advice to everybody, people pushing each other. Like some of these guys are absolute monsters. Like they are smashing away, um, you know, huge weights on the, uh, on the bench and deadlifting. And it's like people cheering them on. I feel like it's a fantastic atmosphere. Um, except when I go, I go like five, six o'clock in the morning. It's usually just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but I like to start. I like to start the day with fitness. I like to get the blood moving before I sit down at a chair for the rest of the day. Isn't that great though? That everyone's actually reacting to each other in the gym. It's fantastic. So much it's of the such time, a good atmosphere. Yeah, it's the headphones, and I put headphones on. But I like to, I always talk to people. I say hi, but it's the cell phones and the headphones a lot that it's hard to reach anybody. They'll they almost walk right into you. They're not even paying attention. And I, I always liked the camaraderie at the gym. I was just talking about high school. I loved going mm. in there. We all knew each other. Old boombox. That's what this opera. place is like. <laughs> Show that's, that's, that's what this place is. Yeah, <laughs> as, you do, as you do in a gym. Typical jock. Typical jock move. Bring in front of the opera. Bring in some Les Mis. And hey, I got some you know, yeah. old Roger and Hammerstein. Yeah, let's do some deadlifts. Oh, but um, I'll tell you what, though. What I, 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 I do like sometimes is to get a bit of Hans Zimmer going. Um, oh, Hans like Hans Zimmer, like Gladiator. he is for for like running, uh, for for running especially. Like his stuff is fantastic. Like he's he, some of his music is is amazing. This I said the Call of Duty, like there's a guy that Call of Duty. I think it's like Brian Tyler or something like that. Mm-hmm. He uh, the, those Call of Duty um, soundtracks. I mean they're they're as good as a movie score now. So if people listen, if people people looking for any running soundtracks, check out Hans Zimmer and check out the Call of Duty soundtrack. It's funny you say they're, that. They're really good for yeah. Me. Call of Duty Gears of War. That's another one. Those mm. soundtracks I stumbled on those about a year ago, and Audio Machine. That's another one. Tyler Bates, who did the Three Hundred soundtrack. I always Bates, love that's it. That's it, Tyler Bates. Because I, I love movies. Gears, yeah. You see an action movie like Three Hundred, uh, Gladiator, Inception too. That's Hans Zimmer, I believe. Yeah. There's a couple tracks in there. That, yeah, that are fantastic and just fantastic. Hey, all right, let's. I want to take it back. We we're talking about whales. <clears throat> we we're talking about toilets overlooking the ocean, which we we need to. That's very important. Yeah. I like that. You're still talking about toilets. I, I'm gonna have to take I a just, break. It's like sound of running water. I'm gonna have to run to the restroom. <laughs> so, t- well, I can so hear the waves you're crashing. Originally in. from Wales, right? And we were talking yes, about sir. your your tours and your military career. Uh, take us back. Uh, how did how did did you enlist? I, I'm not as familiar with the the British military as the American military, but how were your parents in the military? How did that come about? No, nothing like that. So I was just born with the desire to be a soldier. So this is about as easy. Like I, there was nobody pushing me into it. There was nobody trying to stop me doing it either. My parents are very good like that. That they would support you even if they wouldn't like. You know, like, let's be honest, like, not many mums and dads are going to be like, oh, my son wants to be an infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. Fantastic news, you know, uh, unless they don't like you. If your parents are <laughs> pushing you into that, maybe you need to start getting better <laughs> Christmas gifts. Um, but no, it's, a, it's just something. I, it was in my DNA, man. It was absolutely in my DNA. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people I say, talk to say the same. It's just in us, you know. So it's how, would you, have to do. how does that manifest as a child? What, what did you notice? in yourself that led that way playing okay so this is what i noticed as, as a kid like lots of kids mm-hmm. play soldiers right but i realized that i was taking it to another level when i'd start to be playing soldiers on my own like making a trench out of my uh comforter as guys in the states who call it duvet in the uk i'm just like lying behind me waiting for people to come i don't think that was normal <laughs> and then i kept doing that into my team i was like i joined cadets which is like a it's kind of like a um it's kind of like scouts, but it's run by the military. But it's not like Hitler Youth or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's it's very kind of it's kind of chill. But you get to put camouflage paint on and go around, run around in the woods and all that kind of thing. And you get to start doing shooting. So, um, in the UK, obviously, there's not the same kind of gun culture as there is in like many parts of the states. So it was very good in that way. It treats you. It it taught you good like respect and discipline of weapons and, and, and what all age that kind was of this stuff. Which, Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like 13, 
so I'm like 13 at this point. So um, what, when I was in what would be the equivalent of kind of senior year, you know, like just before you go to university, because my plan was to go to university and then become an officer. So an officer is kind of like the, the management of the army. Um, and what happens in the States, I know, is a lot of guys go into the military so that they get the GI Bill so that they can go to college after they serve. Um, it, it, that doesn't happen in the UK. There's nothing equivalent to a GI Bill. So it's like you either go and do it yourself before you go in or you don't do it. And predominantly, and I mean massively overwhelmingly, if you have a degree, college degree, you become an officer. Um, I decided about halfway through college that I didn't want to be an officer. Um, and that's because a racket happened. And I was like, damn, I want to be the guy like running around, like kicking doors in and stuff. Um, so I was, at, I was at college. While I was at college, I joined the reserves, which is like the National Guard. So I did five years in like the equivalent of the National Guard. And then as soon as I graduated college, I, um, I put in to go to, uh, to go out to Iraq. Okay. And this is Iraq 2002, not 19. 2000, no, no, I, I went out 2006. I kind of had the um, timings worked for me that I, I hit Iraq at the bloodiest time and I hit Afghanistan at the bloodiest time. So like 2006, 2007, Iraq, I did back-to-back tours there. Uh, they came back for about a year and then when I was Okay, so in the British Army, you're in the Army, correct? British Army? Yeah, I was in the Army. I was in the, oh. uh, yeah, in the infantry. So the infantry, the infantry are the guys, when you think Army, think soldier, you're thinking about infantry. So we're the ones that like kind of close with, close with, engage and kill the enemy. That's like what, you know, that's okay. what the infantry's there for. Because um, of the Army itself, you know, his Army's like, a, you've got probably three people for every infantry soldier, you've probably got three or more people that are there in like support roles, like logistics, chefs, engineers, pilots, you know, all this kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, like the people with, uh, you know, the people with the guns in the hand and the pokey, like a little bit of metal bayonet on the end is the, is the infantry soldier. Okay. And you say, uh, we hear this word a lot, tours. What exactly is a tour? Hmm. So a tour is a deployment. It's a, so like a, it's a deployment, rotation, you know, a couple of different words you could use for it. It's basically when you go out to somewhere like Iraq or Afghanistan, you go out there for an extended period of time, but a predetermined period of time, um, unless you get injured or killed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know usually about how long you're going out there for. So, like the, like the Marine Corps, the British Army does tours of about six to seven months um, because, like, they, they've kind of figured out that, like, guys burn out by that mm-hmm. point. Um so yeah, you'd, uh, a tour would be like that kind of length, and you so you go out usually as a, a formation of like a brigade, which might be a few thousand soldiers. That brigade goes out together and kind of comes back together, um, and then you know the next brigade comes in and takes over. So it's like a rot- it's like a rotation. Okay, so the first tour, uh, where did you go? What I mean, what was going through your mind? Were you ready for it? Were you confident? What what was yeah? Going through I, your mind? I couldn't wait. I was actually really kind of uh, mad because I I wanted to get out there as soon as I finished college. And the army, like, you know, I couldn't understand this at the time, but the army didn't really care about what a 22-year-old kind of Lance Corporal wanted to do. Um, and I just kept, my paperwork kept getting messed up and things like that. So I was getting really frustrated because I wanted to be out there. And this sounds really funny now. Well, not funny, but like kind of tragic funny. But um, I was like, God, if I don't get out to Iraq now, the whole thing's going to be over and the place is going to be all calm mm-hmm. and peaceful, um, which, you know, seems really stupid saying that 12 years later where, where we are now. Um, but that's how I thought, you know, I was desperate to get out there. And then when I did finally get assigned to a unit, I was, I was mad because 
you know, you know, you can look ahead and see what units are put down for which tasks going into it, and you know which ones are going to see the most combat and stuff. And I was down with a unit which I didn't like my chances of seeing combat with that, and I wanted to see combat. That's why I was going there. So I was like, uh, I was so my actual thoughts when I was going there was I was mad as hell. I was like, I don't want to be in this unit. I don't want to be doing this. I want to be with this unit. Um, so basically, the the unit I wanted to be with, which would they would they they were the unit which would be responsible for going after the bad guys, kicking doors in, and all that kind of stuff. And I got put into a unit which was doing a much more kind of like a sat back role, you mm-hmm. know. So it was you do like a lot do doing jobs where it was more like, well, if the enemy come to us, the enemy come to us, but we're not really going to kind of go looking for them. And I was like, the hell with that! I don't want to do this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it so it was actually so <laughs> I wasn't worried or anything like that. I didn't have any fear. Then my fear was the fear of missing out on combat. And what what did you find with the other soldiers there? What were they feeling the same way? What was the consensus? Some were. I would say there was about ten percent of us in that in a company of I don't know. Like this is a guess because I'm not sure the exact numbers. But let's say out of a hundred hundred and twenty, maybe I would say that like there was a dozen or so of us who were in the same uh, who were in the same uh, boat who were actively trying to get out of this unit to get to other units. Um, and we hated it. Um, whereas there was a lot of people there who, you know, frankly, like, you know, at one end of the spectrum, you had guys that were chomping at the bit to be in combat. And at the other end of the spectrum, you had guys that didn't want to get anywhere near any combat. They wanted to get some photos of them in uniform hmm. um, and, you know, say that they were in Iraq. But they didn't actually want to do any fighting. Uh, and I think that's borne out by, you look at, like, who stayed on for the next tour to to move into? Because, like I said, I did the back to back, and I did that. So I did that because I was, uh, if I did the back to back, I could move across to a unit that had that kind of like aggressive combat role, um, and I was the only person to do that out of that entire company. So, not all soldiers, uh, not all soldiers, really want to kind of take the war to their enemy. A lot of soldiers are kind of just like, mm-hmm. is it a personality to use thing? Sometimes thing. some people want to get in the action. Others yeah, I probably have a bit. Of a, I, roles yeah i think look i mean look it's 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 a weird one because some people say well it's not natural to want to be in a fight i'd actually disagree to me it is natural my natural you know i i have to work very hard on not being an aggressive person Mm -hmm. like that's in me um and that's not because i had a bad childhood or anything like that my parents are nice as pie i had a very soft upbringing but there's like a kind of like a a bit of warrior dna in me that just wants to fight and i have to kind of like there was a jerk behind me in traffic yesterday and it took every little bit of my of my restraint to to tell the warrior to be quiet and, stay and not run him off the road <laughs> yeah and and like that dude and that's like i do meditation and all that kind of stuff now and it's still like you know there's a little part in my head that thinks oh god i wish it was just like viking days so i could just leave this guy in twain <laughs> well but you're trained for combat I mean, you, you've been in the tours. So your first tour, mm-hmm. how did, did you see combat on the first tour then? Yeah, I mean, it's in the, the thing is about seeing, it's, it's a very, um, thing is about Iraq and Afghanistan is that like, there's threat constantly, but you might not see the threat. It's so, a different kind of so enemy, for instance, isn't it? Different kind of adversary. Yes. So my first job was, I was, I actually, my, my actual first job out there, I got very lucky that I got, because I kind of, because I kind of did stick out in the company because I was a bit like, let me out there. Um, I got like detached with a four man team and you know, like the hurt locker guys, the bomb disposal mm-hmm. guys. 
Well, I got attached to those guys to basically be like their kind of like protection team. Um, and so we would go out. So like there was a unit on the ground unit. So like a unit in the city or something like that, or on like one of the main supply routes that ran from Kuwait up to Baghdad, like a route Tampa. Um, they, those columns would come across like say an IED, which is a roadside bomb. And then they would call out the specialist bomb disposal guys. So I'd roll out with those guys. Um, and I, and that, that was kind of like, you're nervous cause you're at the front of the column. Cause obviously better the bomb hits you better the bomb hits you than the specialist guys who have been doing all the training to get rid of them which is just you know that's just kind of like war economics um so that was pretty nerve-wracking because you know these bombs can just you know it doesn't have to be like you're in a fight all day it's just one split second of a bomb going off and And are are these bombs are they all very different depending on who puts them together yeah they, 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 they can be different but like honestly a lot of the bombs came pre-packaged from iran um, Iran was like supplying the militias with IEDs and all this kind of stuff. It's not something that gets talked about, but that's the mm-hmm. reality. You know, they, they, they try and make people think that all these weapons were taken from stock, old stockpiles and things. But I've seen these things. They're brand new, pretty much with a manufacturing stamp on the side of them. I believe so, you mentioned that, too, because yeah. uh, I follow a lot of the stuff that you post. You're always a- asking questions online and, and people, um, they ask questions and you answer them. You said the thing you were most afraid of was the ieds oh hell yeah i mean without doubt i actually i'm a very weird person and i enjoy getting shot mm-hmm. at um because of the, re- the reason i enjoy that is for the same reason people enjoy base jumping uh the adrenaline rush is is mm-hmm. insane um and you get to shoot back and shooting is very fun uh and and uh, like in that in that scenario i mean i don't own a gun or anything like that i don't have any plans on owning a gun? I don't, you know, if one of people do it and be responsible, fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't go and I could join a gun club or something in the UK. I don't, but getting shot at and do something back is, is you have that ability to fight back. The best that you can hope for with a, a roadside bomb and IED, the best you can hope for is that you find it and don't get blown up. But that's as, that's as much as you win. You know, there's no more winning mm-hmm. than that. That's a, that, that's a win. Is the win was, oh, we don't get blown up. There's no kind of like, well, the only the only exception to that, which we you know did happen on very rare occasions, is that you actually catch them in the act of planting it. Um, we actually got one guy, one of my friends, put him down, and he was dead lying with his feet on the bomb that he planted, wow. which is about as red-handed as you can get. Um, so like that, that but that was like that happened for for hundreds of IEDs that I've kind of come across and I come across my units come across. That's the one time that I can remember that happening. Okay, but to go back, is this a Basra or Baghdad? Uh, so we were down in Basra. So the British sector of Iraq was, uh, by the time I got there, was uh, was just Basra city, but, which is a it's the second biggest city in Iraq. It's got a couple of million people in there, and we we're trying to police it with like a few hundred guys, wow. basically. So it's pretty hard. Yeah, it's pretty hard work. So I'll back it up again. Uh, I mean, there's so many. We got to do more podcasts. There's so many questions I want to ask. I was thinking, do it, man. I, was, I need. I need. I, to I know. Talk I can to, tell. Talk to you. He's not looking for any uh, encouragement to bring it out because you got so much to say. Because I imagine a day in that kind of situation is like a month, in a way, isn't it? Well, it it can so be like, can dude, happen, honestly, maybe some days. Some days are much more exciting. Some days are slower. I mean, like anything else, it depends. You nailed it. You mm-hmm. nailed it. Like you can have days where nothing at all is happening, which is why somebody being away on a deployment is actually a lot harder for the family back home than it is for the soldier because the family back home thinks that every minute of every day you're like 
fighting people, you know, off at like close range and stuff like that. Whereas you might all be lying around if you were in Iraq. When when, when we were, if, I, I, I tell people to think about it like this a little while. So people will probably be familiar with in the Second World War, like bombers based in the UK, you know, American bombers, British bombers, high missions over Germany, which would be very dangerous. But then they'd come back to the base and it would be, you could sit around and chill out mm-hmm. and have a cup of tea. Kind of like a play. firehouse. Like uh, you go out to a fire. Yes. And you, you might yes. sit around for weeks. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's and that's very be much so demanding like. on your physical, your mental state also. Yeah. Well, that's what it was like in, in Basra. So, ba- well, and, I, and this doesn't go for it. I'm not speaking for everyone here, just my unit in particular, because we were based outside the city and then we roll into the city, which was always very dangerous. But then we'd have in the daytime, we'd probably be on the main base where you could relax a bit more. Now, there were rockets and stuff like that would come in. One of my rooms, got, my, one of my, my bedroom got blown up by a rocket. I wasn't in at the time or I wouldn't be here. Um, but like mostly you were safe when you were back at the base. So you could relax. Whereas in Afghanistan, there was like, there was never really that ability to relax because you're living on, like with the, the enemy are all around all times and you can never truly relax. Okay. Who guards the base? Do you have MPs? Or so who, who does that? So, like, so on my first tour, we did a lot of that. Um, you, you do a lot of that. It's a combination of MPs, infantry units, you know, rear echelon units have to contribute people. Um, in Afghanistan, when you're out in these little small patrol bases, you know, in the middle of a town or a village or something like that, you know, like you're in the village, more kind of like what people would think of as like a, almost like a Green Beret style kind of situation. Um, you guard your own, you rotate through, you, you, you rotate your guys through. So if you've got a if you've got three platoons of about thirty guys, um, three platoons of about thirty guys, you'd have one of them would be doing patrols, one of them would be doing like a quick reaction force and administration and stuff, and then the third would be doing a guard rotation, you know that kind of thing. So you pull a lot of guard duty on on tours. Um, it's what you spend a lot of your time doing actually, and this is why you don't get much sleep on tour. You got to be a young guy to do it really, because like a lot, some days you're getting like two hours sleep a day. Because by the time you've done patrols and guard duty and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of jobs to be done by not many, many people. Mm-hmm. Did you find sleep was easy to come by or was it difficult to fall asleep? Oh, no, it was difficult, dude. So like, say, in, in Iraq, for instance, you know, we roll out just after dark. Um, you'd be out all night and then you come back in. Some of the vehicles might have been hit by IEDs. Some of the vehicles <laughs> might have uh, – some of the vehicles would have issues with – because these are like – these machines we're using were built in, for the Cold War. So these are not these are really these are not new. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, these were built to fight the Russians. Are you talking about uh, jeeps or did you have much? No, um, we were we were in warrior armored, armored fighting there? vehicles. So if your listeners want to look up a warrior armored fighting vehicle, if they want to check out, here comes a plug. Uh, my Instagram account at GRJ Books. You'll see pictures of the armored vehicles and stuff we used there, um, and they were great in some ways because they had a they had a turret on them. So if you think of like a small tank with a bunch of angry hot like, and by hot I mean we're hot because it's Iraq in summer. <laughs> Angry, hot, um, teed off. I see. I told you I'm the my language for you. Mm-hmm. Teed off, <laughs> teed off guys in the back. Um, you know, so these vehicles, like, you know, if, if a, one of them threw a track, because quite often they can throw the track off. And if the track goes off, pr- break, you have to break the track and relay the track to get the vehicle back on it. So we might spend like a lot of the day doing that in the heat. Um, and then you might get a couple of hours sleep, but then you've got to go for briefings for the next night's mission. So you might only get a couple of hours sleep a day. And, and if what, you're lucky, you some, were there, some days you might not sleep. So the first tour, how long were you there? About six months, you said. 
I did six months, and then I went home for a few weeks, and I came out and did another six months. Does the weather ever change when you're in Basra? Uh, it, goes, it goes from hot to less hot. Like Florida. But you can get some days where it'll rain and stuff like that, but you can get, like, so the uh, the, the vehicles, because it wasn't air conditioned or any of that kind of thing, go to 70 Celsius, which is something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. so you get pretty hot in the back there. Okay. No, that's over, that's over 140, I think. Okay, the connection got a little weird, but then again, I'm in the mountains. You're over in Wales, so am I still there? Okay, yeah. good. If it cuts out, we just come back. It's no problem. Right, so cool. you did the tour. Um, I'll be here. Yeah, I was like, uh, did you? You're talking about uh, keeping your your mental state. Any anything you would do, mm. or was it? Did you not think about that? How, um, how would you, you keep yourself focused? Um, so and, this. So this is how you keep the mental state is you use very black humor mm-hmm. uh, and you joke around a lot with your buddies. Uh, and sometimes you have a fight with your buddies and sometimes you throw fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you throw fisticuffs and um, yeah, like that, you know, you got a bunch of young guys, like testosterone filled guys, people, people fight, you know, you fight your friends and uh, you fight your friends and you, um, you know, you make some, inappropriate jokes with your friends and you try and you know like i think i think in iraq honestly i was in a denial a lot of the time i didn't realize like i was you know still like young quite experienced inexperienced i didn't believe that anything would ever actually happen to me badly it would happen mm-hmm. to other people i was like oh it's not gonna happen to me and like from reading a lot of war memoirs and listening to you know listening to guys talk on other podcasts and things like that i get the idea that's a pretty universal thing that people it's like it's like drink driving and stuff. People drink drive, which is the most ridiculous, stupid thing to do. But I think, oh, it's never going to happen to me. And so you have a friend that, like, you know, is killed in a drink drive accident. And then all of a sudden, everybody that knew that person, well, and at least in my own experience, people stop drink driving. Because it's like, oh, my God, there's actually consequences. It becomes real. to people mm-hmm. you know. Yes, what surprised exactly. you the most about yourself when you got in these really tense or combat situations? Um... That like, and I'm not. It's not a bravery thing, but that I'd never back down for anything. I never did, um, and I volunteer to do the dangerous stuff. And I think a lot of that, honestly, just was down to a need to. I was never a popular guy in school or anything like that. I'm kind of interested now in like, like getting into my Freud and psychoanalyzing mm-hmm. everything and stuff. Uh, and 100, I had a, I had a big chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove um, to myself and to other people. Um, and you know, my, my granddad was like, my granddad was like in a unit that had like a 75% casualty rate in the war and stuff like that. And I was like, I in need World to live war up II? to, yeah, I'm like, I need to live up to these kind of st- like my, so my regiment to give my idea, my regiments, my reg- regiments in my unit, you know, my unit is 150 years older than the United <laughs> States. And I wanted to live up to all those traditions and I wanted to be the mm-hmm. guy, you know, so um, so I think uh, so you sorry. carry all these things so you're in a firefight I guess most of it's instinct I would imagine you're not thinking all these other things but when you're actually in well, an actual firefight do you what goes through your head well so like I would just take it back like so in Iraq I wasn't like in Iraq it was weird because it was like when I was in a firefight usually I was in the back of the vehicle because when you've got armed vehicles out on the streets where you don't want your guys is you don't want your guys exposed because it's just the risk reward is not worth it 
But where you send your guys out is to look for IEDs because you need to use your guys. So that was kind of my job in Iraq was mostly kind of like, there wasn't shooting at people. It was scuttling around looking for bombs. Um, and like what was going in my mind was usually like, this is kind of stupid, but uh, I've got to do it because I don't want people to think I'm a wimp. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that kind of goes through. And the times where I was getting shot at um, originally, like when I was first out there, uh, like there was one time I can use a little like a little anecdote to kind of prove the point. We were up on a rooftop and there's like you know like tracer fires, so like those like red bits, like the Is little that like every laser beams or third. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little third. It depends. You can fill a magazine up with all tracer if you want to, but if it comes on a belt, it generally comes like one in three or one in five. It's actually super fun if you just make a big belt of one in one and just have like a big. <laughs> That's like laser tag. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, but you got to remember tracer goes both ways, so like they can see your firing position mm-hmm. very easily. Um, as demonstrated by this story. So we were kind of on a rooftop, and these, like, tracers are going over our heads. And uh, the guy with me is like, these guys are shooting at us. And I was like, nah, dude, it's just, like, celebratory fire because, like, Arabs like to fire the weapons in the air to, like, celebrate new babies, football team results. Or Don't those bullets come back down? So, well, yeah. They yeah, always they come, back come back down. down. Same velocity, don't but they? But I just thought we, we had a very strict rule of engagement. So our rules of engagement were, Unless they're trying to kill you, you don't fire on them. So I was like, nah, don't worry about them. They just celebrate your fire. And the next thing, this like Apache just banks in and just like de- absolutely destroys this tree line where these guys were firing from. And I was like, oh, damn, I guess they were shooting us. <laughs> and it was really weird. It's like a, I had that in Afghanistan as well. It takes you a couple of weeks to kind of get back into the accepting that someone's actually trying to kill you. Yeah. Well, how, how did it's a very weird, it's too? a very weird and feeling. You only have a, if they are indeed firing at you, have a split second to react. Um, well, yeah, but I, I mean like on a, almost like on a philosophical level. So it's like you get very, you, after you've had a few weeks in country or whatever, you, you develop the feel for it. You know, what's dangerous, you know, what's not. But like when, you know, my experiences and this is, I'm not saying this is universal. It's just my own. Um, is like you hear the bullets cracking by your head and like, oh, wow, this is weird. Someone's trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. And you're, yeah, your training does kick in. But for me, as I was my training kicking in, well, I was like, my uncle today, I go walking up. Um, you, you know, you probably see my post. I go walk like by me mm-hmm. and it's like more, it's moorland. And the grouse will like wait until you're almost on top of them, these big birds. And then they'll just like shoot out. Like they'll, they'll flush. Instinctively, my hands come up mm-hmm. as if I had a weapon in there. So it, there is that kind of training that's drilled into you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just as that's kind of happening, there's a little voice in my head going like, this is just really strange. And so you, you did the tour. You went back home for a few weeks. What was it like to yeah, go I went back? Yeah, I went to work. Um, God, it's a while ago now. It just, I kind of felt unfulfilled. I felt like I didn't do anything that I wanted to. Um, I, I still felt I had like a lot on the table as far as soldiering was concerned. And I mean, I was a guy in my young, like young guy, early 20s. I don't think most guys in the early 20s really kind of know what the hell's going on in the world anyway, or in their own head. So I was kind of like, I was still kind of like trying to find my way in the world. Um, and I started working at a gym and I thought, well, I guess I'm going to work at a gym. And then I saw on the, uh, I saw like some news footage of fighting in Afghanistan going on. I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm done with this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to volunteer and go back to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So when you left the tour, you're still active duty? I was a reserve. Reserve. Reservist. Okay. So you had yeah. the option. Would they call you back or was it up to you if you wanted they, to? They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have called me back. If I hadn't have volunteered, I would have gone. 
um, I actually got a position to begin training with um, the uh, North Wales Police Force because, you know, it's one of those kind of things. I, I came from like a middle class family um, and it was kind of like you either go into something like the police or you go into teaching. So I went and I didn't really think I, there wasn't anything driving me to do it except that this is the done thing. And I went and joined the police uh, because I was a Welsh speaker and stuff. I got fast tracked. I had a place to start training with them. And then my paperwork came through saying, yeah, you can come to Afghanistan. So I then went to told my family, um, actually, I'm not going to join the police. I'm going to go to Afghanistan. And that did not. Go what did well. your parents say? Um, I, you told me not to swear on this podcast. <laughs> Just beep yourself out. Beep, 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 beep. So they were very beep, much beep, against beep. it, right? They were, well, look, people were coming home in boxes from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, there was a, so there was a, there was a job, like a solid career path on one side. And on the other side, there was the possibility of coming home with no arms, no legs. So, you know, to be fair, I think it would be a pretty irresponsible parents who did not kind of t- tell me that I was crazy. Mm-hmm. And what, so what year was this when you went to Afghanistan and- I went to Afghanistan in 2009, which was the kind of... I went in the summer. Uh, it was kind of the craziest point of the Afghanistan war. Um, I actually went to a funeral for one of my friends the day I flew out. I went to a funeral in the morning, flew out in the, Afga- uh, flew out in the afternoon. Hmm. Um, and I was kind of like... And, that, the, and I was a little bit older at this point. I was the ripe old age of 25. Um, Quarter of a century, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just you throw the word century and then you sound old. <laughs> I know anytime century, like, but it is a it is a point in your life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was just sitting on the I was sitting on the plane thinking like, because I'd seen the guy's mom. Like I'd gone to the funeral. I'd seen you know he left he left a kid behind, um, and a family behind, and I and that's like kind of like I was like, damn, this is maybe this maybe this is dumb. Maybe this was not the good call. Okay, so you had a moment. You uh, you, you almost changed. Oh, your I mind. had a moment, but like it wasn't. It was like. Yeah, but the moment was also the, the other voice in my head was like, "Well, yeah, dude, it is dumb, but like, where else are you gonna go out and get to combat?" It's like, "Oh yeah, good point. Okay, uh, oops, oh, that was close. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> just speak over really fast." So, well, I think if you from just talking to you now and following your life so far, if you would have stayed in Wales, I, I think you would have been so restless. Absolutely. I mean, I would not be happy. It would be the bottom line. I would not be a happy person. And as a result of my service, I had some unhappy times, but I also had the best times in my life. Um, and it set me up for what I'm doing now, which I love. I absolutely love. I'm in a very good place now. I love my career. Yes, okay, I had some hard times, but I think it's like anything in life. It's like the gym. You want to get the six pack, you better put in the, you're going you're gonna to be in some pain. Mm-hmm. You know, if, 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 you want, if you want a big impressive bench, then you're going to have to put the work in for that. And I think that's the same in life. If you're not going to go through, you, if you don't go through some pain, if you don't go through some hardship, then you're not going to get the biggest rewards out on the other side. I just don't think that, that happens. That's, that's very true. You got to put in the trials. You have to go through trials. You have to be tested. You have to be challenged. And absolutely, and you have that's to, where the growth really, comes. Really, I mean, as you said, since you were a small boy, uh, that you had this desire. You wanted to be a soldier. You wanted to test yourself. You wanted to serve. What was your initial reaction when you landed in Afghanistan? Hmm. Well, let me just like one, make one point on that mm-hmm. um, to kind of like just to speak to your point. Is there even after three tours and I've been blown up, you know, I've been blown up in a vehicle. I've been shot at. I've had lost, you know, friends. I've been through 
pretty much all the like individual circumstances that you could think of, I still don't feel like I did enough or saw enough or anything like that. So even at this point, I'm restless. So if I'd have been, um, if I hadn't gone at all, I can only imagine how like torn up I'd be. So yeah. Do you find that's common uh, with your other? Very, oh, very common. The other like very common people you served with. Uh, there's there's not there's not many people who um, who who I served with who would not go back in an instant. Hmm. Same reasons. A lot of the same reasons. Just, just, let's just the best times of your life. It's like, I heard Joe Rogan speak about this the other day. Um, and, uh, he, cause he was talking about people he's interviewed from the military and he's saying like, you know, you lived your life at 11 out of 10 and then you come back. So even on a good day in civilian life, you are maybe hitting an ace or a nine, but you're never going to hit 11 again. And I think that's true. And I think it's just, you just have, you have to be okay and happy with, so if I'm hitting a nine or an eight or a nine in a day, Okay, it's not an 11, but you know what? That's pretty amazing mm-hmm. to be able to have that. Uh, but it's taken me a long time to get for that. For a while, I was just kind of like, oh, this sucks. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes in the moment, you don't really realize what's happening. Yeah, yeah, of course. And you don't realize this. I think it's – I always had this idea in my head that um, people came back from, like, say, World War Two or whatever. Like, so some people – would have, you know, they would have enjoyed that experience. I know that sounds crazy, but you just go and re- go listen to them, go, go, go read the books. Some people, you know, and it doesn't mean they enjoyed all of the experience clearly, you know, mm-hmm. but they enjoyed some parts of the experience, like the camaraderie the, and all that kind of stuff. The band of brothers, and I, right? Band of brothers. Yeah. And I, I always just, I always just kind of figured, oh, well, at some point you get over it and you don't think about it anymore. What I'm kind of coming to realize now is no, it's always there. You just have to become better at accepting that like that you're not going to go back to it um and that's you know and that's and it's okay to want to go back to it so that's kind of where i'm at now. do you have an option now to go back or is that over um i i not not really so here's the thing the reason i left the military was because there was no more uh deployments to iraq and afghanistan coming up um unless i went into the special forces um, and I just didn't go down that route. I, I kind of, I had a gut for, so I loved being on deployment, but I hated, I hated being like in barracks in the UK. I hated being treated like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hated all that stuff. So once we got back to the UK, I was like, I'm done. I just want to get out of here. But now absolutely there's moments where I think about it. Sure. Uh, I think if I was in, I think if I was an American, I probably would still be in uniform because, um, the career paths and stuff like that to go into units where you can like, if you're, if you're in some units in America, you could just be on deployment like all the time, you know? And, um, I think, I think I probably would have gone towards something like that, but Hey, you know, things have worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And how long were you in that? You went one tour in Afghanistan, correct? Yeah. It was about seven months, seven months. Uh, which areas will we know the area? So I was in Helmand. I was in Helmand province. Mm-hmm. Um, just South, just South of uh, Musakala, which I think you guys pronounce Musakala. I've actually run into uh, Marines that were in Mosakela like the year after I was there. It was kind of tricky. Did you serve uh, British forces or was it uh, multilateral? Was it U.S.? No, European? I mean it's all part of the uh, it's all part of the International Stabilization Assistance Force, which was NATO. Um, so there was Americans, there's Estonians, Danish with Danish pretty nurses. Um, <laughs> which is the, like the, that's the one consolation if you get shot is Danish pretty nurses. Uh, you know my mom's so. Danish. Really? Mm-hmm. So she's very pretty too. It's not a nurse, single? though. <laughs> uh, and my, because um, I'm going to be a father, and uh, my wife and I oh, are expecting. Thank man. you. 
and we're naming him Dane. Dane Sorensen. Oh, that's dope. Dane Sorensen V, because my mother's maiden name is Sorensen, so you can't get more that's awesome. than that. Thank you. No, that that is awesome. I'm I'm picturing this baby right now with a big beard, kind of like <laughs> ice shadow, like and the Nordic tattoo and the Norse tattoos and stuff. Probably, or like Hamlet wearing all black and scowling and moping around a castle. But I'll take either <laughs> one. Uh, if the name that's means awesome, anything, man. Uh, Dane. Uh, Sorensen V. Great. So he's gonna be ba- he's gonna be he's gonna be a badass. That with that name, you cannot fail to be a badass. I hope so. He was he's been kicking a lot. And Jillian, my wife, she lies in bed and she's like, "Okay, he's he's doing it. Put your hand there." Or you can just look at her stomach and watch him kick. It's 